and monsters. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Phantoms of Monsters Radio, where we explore the strange and the unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Strickler. Thanks for joining us. Uh, now, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe, like, and share our presentations. It's um, the Super Chat is active during the show, so please show your support, support for Fans of Monsters Radio by clicking the dollar icon underneath the chat. And uh, you can also support the channel by using the Buy Me a Coffee link or banner. Uh, that'll be in the description below. So uh, your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight, we present a Pennsylvania Dogman Upright Canine Roundtable with our guests James West, Eric Mintel, and Ron Murphy. And Eric Altman, Pennsylvania Crypt Investigator, will give us a Chestnut Ridge report. Uh, this is something he's been working on the past couple months, so I, I figured I'd bring him in here since we got the Pennsylvania crowd in here and have him uh, tell us what's been going on. So James West is a two-time dogman experiencer and documents other encounters and sightings throughout Pennsylvania and beyond. James is also a member of the Fams and Monsters 14 research team. Eric Mintel and his Bucks County Paranormal Investigations team traveled the state and country exploring the mysteries and history of the paranormal and unexplained. Eric and his team have recently investigated the Beast of Bray Road phenomenon and continued to delve into other cryptid canine reports. Pianist Eric Mintel has played for two presidents, Clinton and Obama, and has performed over eight, excuse me, over 10 times at the Kennedy Center performed a special concert at the United Nations in New York City, and has been featured in several publications, both newspapers and magazines. He is a protege of jazz legend pianist Dave Brubeck. Uh, Ron Murphy, the crypto guru, has been investigating the stuff of nightmares for over 30 years. He has delved deeply into the shadows to shed light on the things that go bump in the night, in the night, and particularly meticulously research the historical and psychological context of myths and legends from around the world. Ron seeks to uncover the archetypal precedent for monsters that haunt our collective thoughts. And Eric Altman is a cryptozoologist specializing in researching the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomena with a combined 40 years of study and field research. He is the founder and director of the Pennsylvania Cryptozoology Society and the executive director of the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Eric was also the host and co-founder of Beyond the Edge Radio, a live weekly radio program covering a variety of paranormal and fringe topics from 1997 to 2019. Eric has been actively investigating cases, citing claims, 
and conducting field work dating back to 1997. He has lectured and presented across the country dating back to 2000. Eric has been featured in multiple documentaries, films, and television programs about Bigfoot. So guys, I appreciate you all coming in tonight. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here, Juan. So first of all, I, I, I'm going to have Eric give his report. Now, he has been investigating some strange going-ons in the Chestnut Ridge, which for the Chestnut Ridge, that's kind of part and parcel over there. Uh, but uh, he made me aware of what's been going on over there back in April, and he's been continuing on. So I'll go ahead and let Eric come forward and, and, and tell us what he has discovered over there and some of the phenomena associated with it. Go ahead, Eric. Okay, to start off, um, for people who don't know what the Chestnut Ridge is, um, it is uh, part of the Western Allegheny Mountain Range, uh, also known as the Laurel Highlands, and it's the furthest western ridge uh, of the Allegheny Mountain Range in southwestern Pennsylvania. It runs from southern Indiana County, uh, southwest, in through Westmoreland County, down through Fayette County, and comes to a rest in the foothills near Morgantown, West Virginia. It's about 75 miles long. Um, it probably has close to 70,000 acreage of forests and, and wildlands, and it covers such towns as Blairsville, Latrobe, um, Donegal, um, Mount Pleasant, um, Uniontown, Connellsville, just to name a few of the cities, the major cities and towns that it runs through. Um, it has a long um, historic history of all types of paranormal phenomena, whether it be UFO sightings, um, haunted locations, a variety of different cryptids have been seen and reported. Um, there have been a number of dogman sightings and encounters throughout the ridge over the years. Uh, Bigfoot has been the uh, main cryptid that's been sighted in the ridge for centuries. Um, I have documented cases, newspaper reports that date back to the late 1800s. So my fascination with the ridge itself has gone back for decades. And I've been studying Stan Gordon's work and Paul Johnson's work in the ridge going back to the 70s. They've been probably the key researchers in the ridge dating that far back. And they've investigated um, hundreds, if not thousands of UFO reports and sightings and claims, um, hundreds of Bigfoot sightings and claims up in that area. Uh, our good friend, Ron Murphy, who's with us tonight, has written a book about the Chestnut Ridge. Um, so it's a pretty well-known area in, in southwestern Pennsylvania for a variety of phenomena. And as I said, I've been investigating this area for a while. I've become very familiar with the, the variety of phenomenon that goes on up there. I've looked into a variety of different claims on different paranormal subjects. And um, this most recent um, bout of activity, if you want to call it that, or flap of activity, um, actually started last year in May of 2021 in Indian Head, Pennsylvania, where an ambulance crew was driving down Route 711 at night, about midnight, and had uh, what they claimed was a very tall, dark-haired covered creature run across the roadway in front of their ambulance. Uh, took about three steps across an eight-foot wide road, ran up an embankment, and disappeared into the forest on the right side of the roadway. Um, I got the uh, Facebook message from one of the ambulance crew members. I was down there 
the next morning, probably about eight o'clock in the morning to investigate. Uh, we did find some large impressions in the ground, but that's all we really found, no other conclusive proof. But their story and their testimony was quite compelling. And I was convinced they saw something. Um, I know one of the uh, ambulance personnel very well, and I know that she's extremely credible. So I took the case very seriously. Uh, from that point forward, we began to monitor the area because I know of the history of activity in the area, not just of, of Bigfoot sightings, but as I mentioned, all the other phenomenon going on in the area. So we began to monitor this area pretty closely. Uh, jump forward about um, nine months into March, and um, I was contacted by the same person who had a, a sighting back in May of 2021. And she informed me that on a break outside the fire department, um, about 3 a.m., um, on a Saturday night, she had heard on a forested wooded hillside across from the fire department, something was whistling very loudly. And uh, my first question, of course, was, is it possible it was a screech owl or a barred owl or something like that? And she's very familiar with the outdoors. She said she had heard nothing like it ever before. So um, the following night, I believe it was a Sunday night that she heard something up on the same hillside that was screaming, very high pitched female terror or female being murdered type of scream as she described it. So with these kind of audible reports coming in, I decided to go down to the fire department, meet her in person, have her show me the area these sounds were coming from. And she agreed and her and her husband agreed to take me up into that forested area, the hillside above the fire department to show me around. So <clears throat> this was late March. We, we took a drive up into some of these back mountainous roadways up in this area to investigate. And our first trip up there, we, we really didn't expect anything to happen. We thought we'd just drive around these back dirt roads, these mountain gravel, muddy roads, and just to get a look at the area and, and see if we could you know, maybe make some sense of what these sounds were, possibly find a, a, a rational, logical source for the animal sounds that she was hearing. Well, as we were coming up this uh, knoll, we, we dropped down into the knoll as we were coming up the other side of it. Uh, her and her husband were driving the Jeep in front of my pickup truck. And I had Tom Mihawk in the truck with me. He's one of my research partners and my son sitting in the back seat. And the Jeep in front of us came to an abrupt halt. And the, um, her husband jumped out of the Jeep and came back to the truck and told me that um, she had seen something very large and black dart across the road in front of the vehicle so quickly that she didn't get a good enough look at it, but she saw something definitely run across the road. So at that point, we all decided to jump out of the vehicle. I grabbed my thermal FLIR, decided to investigate and see what we could see. And as we're looking on the right side of the road in the direction of this animal went, um, we were seeing a heat signature in the forest about 50 to 75 yards down the, the hill in the forest. But we couldn't really tell what it was. It looked stationary. I personally thought it was a rock. They thought it might have been a deer that kind of hunkered down. But we're watching this animal. And I mentioned to Tom, I said, go back in the back of my pickup truck and, and get um, an axe handle out. We were going to try some wood knocks. So Tom was in the back of my pickup truck digging around looking for an axe handle. While he was in there, um, within maybe 15 to 20 feet on the opposite side of the road behind my pickup truck, we heard a very loud wood knock. And we all stopped and looked thinking it was Tom with that axe handle I sent him to get doing that wood knock. And here Tom is still digging around in the back of my pickup truck looking for the axe handle. So we knew it wasn't him. So our attention turned from the right side of the road to the, the opposite side, the left side of the road. And I began to scan with a the thermal flare. And um, the five of us 
the woman, her husband, my son, myself, um, Tom, we were all looking across the railway. We could hear something walking around. We could hear footfalls. We could hear branches breaking, at times very large branches breaking, but we could never see the heat source. And as you guys know, in March, there's not any foliage on the trees. Everything is still pretty barren. We, we should be able to see. We were seeing with, with the naked eye and flashlights a good 75 to 100 yards into the trees, but with the thermal flare, we should have seen something, but we weren't seeing anything. So after about 15 to 20 minutes of looking and not seeing anything and the noises quieted down, we decided to proceed on this dirt road and, and continue on our journey. We drove about probably 300 yards up the road. And once again, the Jeep came to an abrupt stop. And within four or five minutes, we thought maybe they saw something again. Um, however, the husband got out and came back and said at this point, um, there was something on the right side of the road that caught um, his wife's attention. She saw a bright flash in the, the forest, like a bright white light that shrunk down to the size of what she described as a firefly, maybe smaller, but it didn't look like a firefly. It stayed solid lit. It floated through the trees for several feet and then disappeared. And shortly after that, she heard very heavy footfalls come. They both heard very heavy footfalls come running at their Jeep and they kind of panicked. Uh, they didn't know what to do. And that's when he jumped out and came back to us to report what they heard. Um, we didn't hear the, any of this commotion. We didn't see the bright flashlight. We didn't see the, the small, whatever, greenish, yellow light they saw. We didn't hear the footfalls. We saw him come back. He reported what he, he'd heard. Um, and we decided, okay, well, let's wait a few minutes to see if anything happens. Nothing happened, so we decided to move on. And as he started to proceed to drive away, he stopped again for the third time, got out, came back, and reported to me that something in the woods on the left side of the road threw something and hit his driver's side of the truck about shoulder length on the, the driver's side door. He got out to look and there was no damage to the vehicle. He did find a piece of wood laying on the, the roadway next to the truck, but he wasn't sure if that was what caused the, the thump that he had heard on the side of the truck. So it was, it was a pretty eventful night that first night in March. We can't say what happened during that good, maybe half an hour, 45 minute uh, time frame. But we definitely heard a wood knock. We saw some kind of heat signature in the woods. Um, the woman in the Jeep saw something black and very quick dart in front of the vehicle. She saw a bright white light flash in the trees on the right side of the road that shrunk down to the size of, I guess you call it a green or yellowish firefly type light that eventually vanished. We heard footfalls. We heard branches breaking. And something was thrown at the Jeep. So it was it was very intriguing to me at least enough to make me want to come back and continue to look at this area and see if there's a cause for any of this so after we explored the area for a little bit more we decided to continue on nothing else eventful happened that night we agreed to come back in late march and we did when we came back um we were up there probably this was our second or third visit uh, we heard some wood knocks. We heard some distant howls in the forest, a couple of high-pitched whoop sounds, very primate-sounding whoop sounds, which were even more intriguing because there's indications there was something up there moving around. These are all uh, commonly reported sounds of Bigfoot and commonly reported Bigfoot activity. So there's something up there that's drawing our attention. So we continued to monitor this area, and um, it was probably in... I want to say maybe mid-April that we brought in a film crew 
that's filming a documentary on the ridge. And uh, at that point in time, we brought Ron Murphy in, um, myself. Uh, we had the film crew with us. Um, Tom Mihawk was with us, the husband and wife couple who were with us on, in that uh, first couple of weeks in March, late March. Um, my son was back with us and we had some other investigators with Ricky Cherby and a couple of other people were with us. Um, the first hour or so of the investigation, it was rather dead. Uh, there wasn't much in the way of activity. There were some weird things that happened, some loud, loud thumps on the ground, some loud um, possible, I guess you call them stomping sounds. It sounded like something would stomp its feet, but nothing real conclusive to make us get excited. Um, it wasn't until probably around 9.30, 10 o'clock, then all hell broke loose. Um, we had split up into several teams and we wanted to try to cover some more area. And we were very close to the area um, where we first had our first experience that March evening, um, where we heard the wood knock and we had the, uh, the thing thrown at the Jeep and we heard the footfalls and all that activity that happened in March. So we had split up into several teams. Um, we had film crews with several of these teams filming as we were out there. And um, at first things started off rather um, subtle with um, some howls, some knocks, some whooping sounds. And then things started getting a little strange. And when I mean by strange, um, the group that was down um, probably a good three quarters of a mile away from our group began to report hearing uh, a metal sound. Um, the best way I can describe it is if you take an empty beer bottle with a fork, you would hit that beer bottle, like a, a clanging sound. And it was happening all around them in the forest. They couldn't, couldn't pinpoint a location it was coming from, but it sounded like somebody was taking a, a fork and a beer bottle and just making that, that tink sound. And it was happening all around them, but they, they were radioing and reporting in what they were hearing. Then they began hearing murmuring sounds or mumbling sounds, like the sound of something talking in the forest. But the, again, they couldn't make out what it was saying. They couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from, but it was coming from all around them. And then the lights began. And what I mean by lights, we started seeing as a collective group that split up in different areas, lights appearing in the forest. Um, it wasn't just one group. The groups were seeing lights coming from different locations in the forest. Um, my group that consisted of me, the husband, um, and his son were to pick up truck. Ron and my son were together. Um, the film crew um, had walked down the path towards the lower group that were three quarters of a mile away. They had seen lights. Um, the group that was down at the bottom of the hill, they had seen lights. Um, it was just happening all around. And these lights can best be described as a variety of different colors. The ones I saw were three greenish blue lights floating through the trees. It, it almost looked like people were walking through the forest carrying cell phones with the white the cell phone lights exposed facing towards me. They were joined by a fourth red light and they've just all disappeared. Hmm. Um, while we were all standing on the main road together, we saw, and Ron, feel free to jump in and add it anytime because you were there, you witnessed this yourself. We saw a light about 10 to 15 feet high in the trees that resembled a very bright flashlight beam 
that was facing towards us. But the odd thing is the group that was three quarters of a mile away were seeing the beam facing towards them. Mm -hmm. So that was witnessed by all the groups. Everybody was seeing it. And no matter how close we tried to get to it, we couldn't get to it. Um, we would even radio out to each other to confirm that no one had headlamps on, no one had camera lights on, no one had any kind of um, thermal equipment on, nothing was on to show any kind of lights being on in the forest, but yet these lights were surrounding us. Ron, do you want to jump in and add anything? Yeah, you know, yeah, so I was with Josh, I was with his son, and uh, we were kind of like at a base camp where everybody else was doing their thing. And we saw the lights, which we immediately thought were flashlights. I mean, what else are you to think? Um, and they were walking through the woods. You can see that they were walking level. Uh, then all of a sudden, they were starting to ascend into the trees until they were approximately 30 feet off the forest ground. So whatever was going on was changing altitude, and it was really pervasive. Now, what I found so fascinating about it is that these lights also, and this is where it starts getting a little, uh, you know, the hair kind of raises up. Um, there was probably, would you say there was a dozen people there, Eric? Probably something like that? Yeah, there was at least a dozen people yeah. with the film crew. Everybody ended up that night with having a personal experience, which kind of blows my mind. So we were all there as a group, and we were all witnessing these anomalies as a group but each person was perceiving things differently than the other person uh which really is kind of shocking um i had talked to eric about this and if it was under a different context this could have almost been written off as a religious experience but because we were investigating uh, the paranormal we have to look at something else um tom uh, one of our investigators uh these lights came so close to him that he actually reached out to touch one and it vanished before he did. Um, so, you know, what is going on? Um, now, I was investigating a dogman sighting, um, probably it was about 2005, I suppose. And we were in a location um, uh, near, very near the Chestnut Ridge, but probably about 30 miles from this particular site. And um, this was my first dogman investigation. And it, it also dealt with a light anomaly. Uh, behind us on the trail, another investigator and I, a light just lit up. It looked as if somebody opened up a door and the light kind of peered through. And as, as soon as it opened, it closed again. And almost immediately after this particular time, something was now in the woods making a sound and moving and following us to the point that we could also even hear it vocalizing. It was growling as well, too. So if if you were a bigfoot investigator you could say well i had a bigfoot experience or if you were a ghost investigator i saw the orbs i had some sort of haunting experience same way with a ufo investigator this was an all-encompassing paranormal experience in which whoever was there perceived it in a different way than the entire group yeah it, it's fascinating to me because as long as I've been investigating this, I've experienced a variety of different phenomenon in the forest and, and you know, whether it be haunted locations or seeing strange lights in this, the sky that I can't explain, but I've never been in a situation where I have had that much phenomenon happen at one time at one location. Uh, we had wood knocks happening, howls, whoops. We heard voices that we couldn't explain. We had strange and light anomalies happening around us. We had 
metallic sounds happening around us that sounded like, like I mentioned, a beer bottle and someone taking a fork or a spoon and clanking it together. There was just so much phenomenon. And as Ron mentioned, everybody had their own perceptions. The, the good thing, we were lucky we had a film crew with us because talking with the, some of the cameramen and the producer, they did capture some of this phenomenon on film. So when this documentary is released, hopefully they're going to release that footage that they captured. But that was the night in April that I talked to you about, Lon, the, mm-hmm. just overwhelming amount of activity that night. Yeah. Since, since that night, we've continued to investigate and monitor this area. We've been up that area, gosh, sometimes three or four nights a week, um, just continually going back, spending hours and day and night up in that area. And we've had continued activity going on in that area, whether it be Bigfoot related activity or seeing the lights again, not in the same frequency or um, the same brightness or context, but other people have seen the lights in the forest. Um, Sometimes they appear as pinpoint lights in the distance that appear to move around. Other times they appear as laser lights in the forest. Like if you point a laser in the the forest and you see it zipping around uh, multiple colors, blue, green, yellow, orange, red, white. Um, Sometimes they're very large. Sometimes they're very small. Sometimes they're close. Sometimes they're distant. Um, There's some really strange phenomenon going up there. And the most recent, we were very fortunate to capture, and I actually released a a very documented report on it that included um, an analysis of the sounds was um, at the beginning of June, we went up with and set up some audio equipment um, in the same area where the, uh, the voices were captured or heard, I should say, the lights were seen. Um, the strange metallic sound was was heard. We set up a, a several parabolic mics and digital recorders. And, we, and the first night we were there, we heard coming out of the hollow, what only could be described as a dog or a canine type of animal that would bark and howl for almost a good half an hour. And it was unprovoked. It was unsolicited. As soon as we got out of the vehicles, it was barking and howling in that ravine. The ravine was so thick with foliage and growth, we couldn't see what it was, but we could hear it. It was close. And after a good half an hour, it left. It just went away. We tried to get it to respond to us by doing wood knocks, doing our own predator calls, rabbit, wounded rabbit, wounded um, deer, anything we could think of to get it to respond. It never responded to us. That was on a Friday night, I think June the 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. And then the following night, Saturday, when we returned again, the same type of howls were heard, but these were different. Um, they were similar but different, and, and what I mean by that is they were higher pitched, longer howls and 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 length, um, higher pitch and frequency. They almost sounded canine-like, but not quite. But we were able to capture those sounds on the parabolic mics and with the digital recorders, and we sent them off for analysis. And the analysis said the first sounds from Friday night came back in the canine range in the four four fifty to five hundred. Um, Hertz range, which they confirmed is in the the canine um, Hertz sound range. The sounds that were captured on Saturday night were a dual frequency or dutonal frequency of 650 to 700 Hertz and 1300 Hertz, which is up in the infrasounds frequency range. So whatever was making the sounds on Saturday night was not a canine. It was much higher than a human frequency range. It was making, it was emitting two frequency sounds. It's 650 to 700 frequency range and the seven, uh, 1300 uh, hertz range. We have um, 
spectrograph pictures to document and show that. And we also have um, the audio sounds captured as well. And, and the people that analyzed that gave us their feedback that those sound frequencies from Saturday night do fall in the range of suspected Sasquatch audio recordings. We can't validate that. We can't confirm that because we didn't see the animal that made the call, but they fit into what's been captured before and, and documented. So we don't know what we capture Saturday night, but they do fall into what other others have reported and collected as commonly reported Sasquatch sounds. That was at the beginning of June. We've been back multiple times since then, and the activity has seemed to kind of died off. But we're going to continue to monitor this area for more activity and see what we can find. See, this is typical. This is typical Chestnut Ridge stuff, you know. Yep. Like you know, you get all this crazy stuff going on at one time. Um. It just seems like you hit the jackpot, actually, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. Uh, you may be dealing with a lot of different aspects there. Uh, it's weird. Well, like I said, this is I've been up in, you know, I've been up in the ridge for, gosh, almost 30, 25, 30 years now <laughs> investigating. And I've investigated all sorts of phenomenon up there, uh, mainly the Bigfoot phenomenon. But this is the first time in all those years that I've been in a location where there's been that much activity of a variety of phenomenon just not just one phenomenon occurring but a variety and thank goodness there were 12 other independent sources there that yeah. could validate ron was there he he witnessed it he heard yeah. it yeah and there were other people the, that could validate it yeah and this is one of those things because it sounds so outlandish that unless it was you were there i really wouldn't expect anybody to believe it i mean it sounds like the ravings of people that go out there wide-eyed and expect all this kind of stuff to happen um, but as, as Eric said, you know, we, we do hopefully have all this stuff documented to the point that we could actually present it um, the way that we saw it. But I think that all of us sitting here together in this roundtable, all of us uh, being from Pennsylvania, I think that we all probably have dealt with some sort of light anomaly before. Is that correct? You've sure. all seen something out there you can't explain. Uh, now, yeah. what was so uh, incredible is that this was compounded by the other things as well, too. The wood knocks, you know, the the, the howls, um, and a general sense of foreboding as well. Eric, I, I am sure that you felt it as well too. That it yes. simply did not belong there. That, that this was something out of our element. But I also felt as if whatever this was out there in the woods, whatever these lights were, there was a certain intelligence attached to it as well. And I'm not sure if it was kind of checking us out observing us surveying us um i'm not sure if that was going on but there was a, de a definite attempt for some sort of interaction i'm not sure if i would go as far as say communication but there was definitely a chance there to say hey we're here what do you want to do with us i, I truly believe that that happened mm. well eric keep us abreast of this stuff because uh I found it fascinating when we first started talking about it, and uh, I want to thank you for coming on and talking, and letting us know any updates. And uh, this is bizarre. Yeah, it's it's certainly has been a strange first half of the year, and uh, we're not letting up on this area. We're out there, like I said, a couple of days a week, um, as time permits. And uh, if I'm not there, part of my team is there. We have people up there all the time, so we're yeah. definitely monitoring the area. We'll continue to update you as things happen, and hopefully we get more activity, more strangeness, you know, as, as it goes on. Well, I appreciate it. 
Sure. So uh, we've got James West, and, and, J- and for everyone who's on here right now, James is a two-time experiencer with the with a dog man. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, if you want to briefly let everybody know what happened to you, I mean, you you recently were out uh, out in Arizona for unexplained. And, uh, and told them about what happened to you. And uh, we look forward to that being presented sometime. Yeah, I'll let uh, everybody know. They're, they're supposed to let me know when the episode's going to air. Good, good. So uh, tell give everybody a, a kind of a taste of what you went through. Okay, well, <clears throat> my first encounter... Uh, and Vincent put up the picture. That's that's close to what I encountered. The his verbatim drawing of my description. Right. Um, if I, to sum it up, that's because you know I could talk for an hour about it. Um, but I was out hunting one night, and it was snowing real heavy. And I packed all my gear out out from my house behind my house up a slate dump, and I was sitting there, and I started getting cold and. Um, I turned on my spotlight to leave and about 10 feet away from me, there's, there's a dog man on all fours sniffing the ground. And whenever I turned that light on, it must've saw the light and just, it lifted its head up and looked right at me. It, uh, it kind of moved back a little bit and stepped up on its back right foot and just like lifted itself up nice and casually and stretched its chest out and its chest made one loud pop. Um, and it, it stood there and just looked at me and now mind you, I'm, I'm 16 years old, you know, I'm sitting on the ground and this thing just towered over me. Um, it took one step towards me and I shot it in the right side of its chest and it took off running. It, it cleared the light circle that I was, that I had hit it with in about two steps and I've figured it out since then it, it made about a 10 foot strut or two strides, a 10 foot straight path in two steps. Um, since then I've also done, um, size comparisons. I've, I went back with my father. We're the same height. So we went back and I took pictures and from it's my best guess that this thing was between, uh, seven foot, and eight foot tall, closer to the eight foot, um, around seven foot ten is what I've been able to figure out going over and over and over and it. Um, but after I shot it, it like I said, it took off, and I I followed after it for about thirty or forty feet, and I decided to give it up for the night because it was wounded and it was dark, and it was just a little bit too much for me at the time, you know, so that, that was the first time that I had an encounter. Um, the, the second time was the following summer. I was walking to a friend's house and about 50 to 60 feet down the road in front of me. And I was right on a main road, um, an offshoot of the main road. And this large, it was probably about the size. If you'd take two or three bull mastiffs and put them together, uh, bulk wise, um, it come out of the woods. I thought it was just a huge black dog at first, and it decided to come running up at me and it lunged at me. And when it lunged, I just turned 
out of a reaction, I just turned and I pushed, made a fist and pushed my arm straight out in front of me like this. And its mouth went right over my fist and went down to my elbow, down its throat. Well, I grabbed it around the throat and fell on top of it and just laid on it for like three minutes till it quit moving. And after it quit moving, I, I shuffled off of it and stood up and I was standing there scraping this stuff off of my arm. And it, it was it was like maybe 20 to 30 seconds and it was gagging already getting back up. Um, and I've had people ask me, well, how do you know that it was a, a dog man and not just a big dog? And I said, well, because at first I thought it was a dog until it grabbed me by the legs while I had it in the headlock like that. It grabbed me by my thighs. And luckily I had briar guard pants on and it prevented it from digging into my th upper thighs like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but after I got off of it, like I said, it was like 20 to 30 seconds. It was already waking back up from being choked out. I know I, me, I'd have been laying there. I'd have been done if I would have been choked out like that, you know? And it just like, it seemed like it knocked it out and it, there was just enough to phase it to knock it out. And before I even realized that it was getting back up already, but it, it was on all fours and it just stared into my eyes. And the thing that I'll always remember until the day I die, I'll never forget the color of those eyes is just, they're, they're like a yellow amberish color, but they're just so beautiful. I mean, I don't know how you could, how you could replicate that color. It was just so unnaturally beautiful. Um, but it, it looked at me like that for a second. And it ran around me and ran back into the woods, and I've never seen them since. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it is a pretty remarkable story. Yeah, I, I've since then I've had um, more than fifteen or twenty times of stuff coming up to my house in the middle of the night, banging on my walls and my windows, trying to unlock the front door, and I don't leave a key outside. And, um, yeah. so, you know, something was trying to unlock my door and the porch light went out. This just happened uh, since I was on the show. That So like in the last month, I, I, I sleep on the couch right by the front door and I heard the doorknob jiggle. And I don't lock the, the knob part. I just locked the deadbolt and something was messing with that knob. So I went over and flipped my porch light on and it didn't come on. And I'm going, now, what the heck is going on? You know, so I went and I grabbed my 12 gauge and a flashlight and I opened up the door real slow. And my front gate is normally locked to keep my big dogs from running off the porch. Well, the, the gate was swinging and it shut itself. Wow. And do, you feel, do you feel that uh, that it actually tracked you back home? Do you feel that that's what happened? Yeah, definitely. Well, from where I had my first encounter, it was only approximately 500 yards from where I live. I see. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, what did you shoot this creature with? With the same 12 gauge. <laughs> wow. wow. Number two, number two coyote loads. Well, and at that close of range, I mean, that could conceivably blow a human being's head off of its shoulders. Oh, a human being? You would have had a hole the size of a pie plate through you. Right. Absolutely. You know Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, this is such an interesting field, though, Juan, you know, because now there's all these questions because I've never experienced anything like this. You know, I've had anecdotal uh, things happen, but I've never experienced this kind of, you know, hands on with the creature. So let me just ask a couple of questions. Did you feel 
that this was a flesh and blood creature? That, was this something that was a transforming type of thing? What was your initial feeling? Did you feel that it was naturally belonging in the forest that you were? I mean, I, I didn't think that it was natural as far as it should be there, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> but it didn't seem like it was an apparition type thing or uh -huh. it was uh, in, like the only thing I go by is the physical evidence because when I shot it, it did leave blood. Okay, okay. I mean, when I was that age, the last thing I was thinking of was collecting DNA at mm -hmm quarter after 12 in the morning with this thing running around out here with me. You know what I mean? I, I didn't even know this kind of stuff existed. I mean, I, I didn't even know that there was such a word as dog man. At that right, point, right. You right. know? And I, I mean, everybody knows about werewolves. They've heard of werewolves from myths and movies and books and games and you name it. There's something about a werewolf about it, but I don't think that it was your traditional what you would call a werewolf it i it didn't seem like it would it like whenever it stood up on both of its back legs like that it just made one popping sound out of its sternum like a like if you hit a 50 gallon drum with a bat it was like boom real loud and but that's all it did it didn't make any joint popping or you know like like it was literally uh correcting its posture it's like it it can just go from all fours to upright like it doesn't have to Wow, you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't have to necessarily try to transform. It's all ready to go. It it can just go. That's and that's my personal opinion. Just because of how it moved, like the fluidity and its movements, it wasn't jerky. It wasn't trying to like uh, 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 stretching itself out. It just stood up and it went like this, pulled its chest out and popped, and then it was like it was like ready. It just started wow. taking one step towards me, and if it would have stood there, I might not have done nothing. You know, if it had just stood there and looked at me, it might have got away with it. But when it took a step towards me, I just viewed mm -hmm. that as aggression, you know, because you're already close enough to reach out and grab me practically. Why do you need to get closer to me? Right, right, right. So I want you guys to hear something that I got a, a call on the other day. And I got Eric involved with this because it was so bizarre. Uh, now, you all remember Butch. Now, Butch lived up in Birdsboro, Pennsylvania. And there's an area not far from him called French Creek. It's a, you know, it's a natural area. And, and Butch has been investigating that for years. And he swore there were dogmen in there, or upright canines. Uh, so now Butch passes away in February. And now I get a call from a guy by the name of Matt. And this guy is describing, I don't know what the hell this thing was. So I asked Eric to give this guy a call and run it by him. And Eric, tell us what he told you and what's your assessment of what's going on. Because I've got a, I've got a Timothy Renner and and uh, uh, one of our other investigators in going on with this as well. But uh, Eric, what do you think's going on? Well, I just sent uh, I just sent uh, Vincent the uh, photo that this gentleman I talked to, his name is Matt. He uh, drew a description of this thing. And before we go into that, you know, I talked to this guy. He's 53. He's, uh, you know, he's avid outdoorsman. Um, he's a aerospace engineer, you know, found the guy very easy to talk to, but was very 
very agitated and very like you could tell that this experience really shook him. You know, you could tell that um, he was basically out in uh, the, the Hay Creek uh, Park area. And I think that's it's over near I guess it's in Birdsboro. It's in it's in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's Berks County. So he had been over there with his daughter fishing and uh, they had to walk down this trail and go fishing at the spot that they went fishing. So as they're fishing, he's hearing this, like, it sounds like trees knocking down, you know, like trees getting knocked over just, and it's been going on for like an hour and a half while they're fishing. And he just, he doesn't see it. He can hear it, you know? And uh, so as uh, they get done fishing, and all of a sudden he's hearing it again and he looks up and what he's what he sees is up in this pine tree i guess there was there's a rock ledge there was a rock wall and yeah then he, he was on the other side of a small quarry up there yeah and he was looking on the other side of the quarry yeah, yeah it was like three or four hundred feet away yeah and he's looking up and he sees all this commotion going on in the treetops and here he looks and it's he sees what he thinks is an arm reaching out to grab this bird. It was like, it was grabbing this bird. Well, as it did that, he said it fell out of this tree, like 60 feet flat onto this rock ledge. And I mean, it would kill a human being, you know, this thing flattened out and then stood up. And when it stood up, it stood up on two legs. And this is kind of what he, what he described, what he saw. Um, and he said the legs themselves were like just th from the hip to the heel was like six feet. And the, the arms were like six feet from his, you know, from his direction, from his perspective. So if this thing reached up, like put it, it would be like 12 feet tall. Um, and that was kind of like, he said it looked like sort of like a, like a, like a hyena, uh, you know, head to it and snout and these low ears, you know, pretty much like what he's drawn there. And it was like a, um, in like almost like cheetah type markings there. So, um, you know, the, then he got really, really nervous um, because what he heard. So he had his car and his truck were, were basically where this thing disappeared into. He had to go the same way to go get his truck. So he got really nervous going back into that area. But, you know, people were coming up the trail and he's asking them, did you see anything to, and he was trying to warn people, um, you know, and just, you know, and I think more people nowadays are more open to these type of sightings than maybe even like 10 years ago. Uh, whereas, you know, people have had those experiences. Um, but a, a couple of the people that he talked to didn't, uh, hadn't seen anything. So for all intents and purposes, this thing disappeared. So um, he didn't know what it was. You know, he, he wasn't, I think he, he said he wasn't really carrying a weapon. So it was uh, one of those things. And I mean, it goes back to my dog man encounter in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, you know, and it's uh, it's the, along the similar lines of like <laughs> not being prepared, which, you know, I thought, you know, I don't know if you want me to tell that story, Lon, but that was, sure, uh, go ahead. you know, for you guys, Ron and, uh, and James that don't know and, and the, the listers. Um, so my team did a investigation in Elkhorn, Wisconsin of the Beast of Bray Road, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. Uh, and again, that's supposed to be an upright canine dogman, werewolf-like creature. So we go out and I'm like thinking, oh, we're going to do this great, you know, documentary video. It's going to be great. You know, one of our fans, you know, got us out there and she sponsored the entire thing. 
and uh, and we get out there not thinking that I'd actually that we would actually encounter this thing on the night of October third. And so to preface the entire thing, we were on the farm of Lee Hample. Lee is a retired math teacher. Uh, he has a 35 acre hay field that it's a hay farm and he he's a hay farmer. Great guy. Him and his brother, Fred, awesome people. Um, so the night of October 3rd and, and earlier in the day, I decided, well, let's bait the area. Let's go down to this area that Lee calls the bait area where I'll tell you, you know, he's got you talk about lights, Ron. You talk about lights going through the woods. Lee has pictures of literally like UFO lights going through the woods, video from his trail camp. And we went over to those woods and there was no way that could be like vehicles or ATVs or anything like that going through there because it's really thick. And they were just smoothly going through the trees like that. Huge orbs and, and just incredible. So those were on the trail cams. And uh, before before we had our encounter with the, with the dog man, we get out there. It's about 830 Lee had just gotten done showing us a lot of the anomalies and stuff that he's had on the property over the years. And we go out to the field. It's about 8.30. So it's October. So it's got dark early. And uh, Don, and it had been kind of cloudy. So we were not sure we might, it was going to rain. We thought maybe we'd have to scrub the whole thing. So anyway, we get out there and the, the skies cleared up and Dominic's to tell my teammate, uh, and it was me, Dominic, and Ellen Collins, and Scott Chrysler, who was doing the filming. Um, Dominic looks up and goes, what the hell is that? And you could see it was a solid white orb just going over the field. And you could see other planes. There were planes in the air. You could see other planes 30,000 feet flying. This thing was a solid orb of light that went over the field, silent, no, no sound. And as it's going over, we're trying to figure out what the hell it is, you know, and then all of a sudden it does this little 45 degree angle and disappears. And you can see it all on video. It's on our, it's on our video called the beast of Bray road alive and well, it's on our YouTube channel. That was the first thing. So we were like, what we could believe that that was just very crazy. Then after that, right after that, we heard a very faint howl in the distance. And then it, we heard one closer. And then the third one, the third howl, and I think Vincent, I gave you a video um, of this howl. And I also give you the, the UFO video. I don't know if you could play that, um, but <laughs> this howl to me, it was not a fox. It wasn't an owl. It wasn't a screech owl, nothing like that. Um, this was more like a man screaming in the okay, field. Okay, so that's and flashing. Here's that's the UFO. Flashing this, down. Down. this one is not. This one is not. That's this solid. is a solid. Fat, that's a fat. plane. That's a plane. There's a plane over here. That is just solid light going moving. away from us. Well, actually, it was getting brighter. Holy! Now boy, it's that's gone. Really gone. Well, look at that. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And we we're like, that's what. And that was real time. There. That was just real time. Uh, what we were seeing and what we were experiencing at that point. Uh, and like I said, the howls. Then this third howl. It to me, it sounded like a man screaming in the field. It was really. This something I've never heard before it was like a guttural, like gr a growl yell combination. And check this out. Oh, See if you've heard this before. Oh shit. Uh -oh. That's getting closer. 
you can if you go into the video it, it sounds a lot better i gotta tell you though that sound that sound that we heard we had little lavalier microphones on those tiny mics it was that loud to pick it up and it was about three maybe 400 yards away maybe even more um it was it was wolf-like but and definitely not a coyote no it's not a coyote definitely not a coyote it had this like raspy you know guttural kind of uh sound to it so right off the bat we that put us on high alert and it changed my whole perspective on what's out there because like i said i had i went into this thinking we were going to go and do this great documentary not realizing that we'd actually encounter this thing um, and of course, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't carrying a shotgun, James. So <laughs> I had uh, we had a flashlight and a radio. That was it. <laughs> that was and that would not do it. Uh, but even like with Stan Gordon, you know, we talk about Stan Gordon. Um, Stan's had you know accounts of some of these uh, some of these even Bigfoot uh, creatures that they come in light and all of a sudden you know that they appear. And who knows if that, if a gun will even like work on them, you know if they're interdimensional type things. I will say the third, uh, we had a trifecta that night of, of activity. So the third thing that happened was, third thing was this weird mist started coming up from the field. And it was the strangest thing, man. And it was like, I call it an electronic fog because what happened was it started cutting our our lava, our mics in and out. It was messing with the uh, with the electronics there. And this is a thing that I found out later from Stan was there, people are getting a lot of reports of this mist along with the Bigfoot sightings. So I didn't know that there was a connection there. So there is some kind of weird connection, but you're talking about portals. We're talking about interdimensional things. Lee has thousands and thousands of pictures of weird lights, portals. He's got pictures of portals. There's a picture where literally there's something standing in this doorway. You know, and Lon, you've had Leon, you know, you know, Lee. Mm -hmm. um, and he's he's kept a lot of pictures very close to the vest. There's a lot of things that he hasn't shown people, which are will just blow you away. I've seen a few of them and uh, we usually put them in some of our videos. And there he is right there. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, got to love Vincent, man. We love the artists in the paranormal, too. I have another good friend of mine. I got to give a shout out. Timothy Wayne Williams. He does a lot of our artwork for a lot of our videos and does reenactments of some of the scenes that we've been in. So it's always good to have a great artist on your team as well, because I'll tell you, you know, to be able to to get your descriptions of these creatures is really, really, really important. Um, but, you know, there were so many weird things that happened that in that couple of day time frame. So the other thing was we left the investigation that night. The weirdest thing, the entire town of Elkhorn lost power. It was completely out of power. So you had that. So the next morning I get a call from Lee saying, oh, by the way, the trail cams that I had on on you guys, they stopped at five o'clock the night of the investigation and didn't turn on again until seven o'clock the next morning. <laughs> so it's like something went out there and shut it off. And it was just the strangest thing. And then on the on top of that, the bones were gone. I we had steak bones that, that I had baited in that area. They were gone. So you know maybe coyotes took those. Who I don't know. But that would they were gone. And I'll tell you, you know the just the weirdest thing. And uh, so in my hotel room, we always laugh about this, but 
the hotel lost power too. And I, I found on the floor of my hotel room, a stick I must, I must have brought back from Lee's Field. And Dominic goes, you brought it back with you, didn't you? So, <laughs> but it was just crazy. I mean, um, and you guys are talking, I mean, this is, and this is Elkhorn. Now, <laughs> let's fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Lon, I don't know, you guys probably know Tom Carey too. Mm -hmm. Tom Carey is, he's the, he's out in Roswell right now for the Roswell uh, Festival. But uh, Tom is, you know, the authority of Roswell. He did so much. Uh, he's written seven books on Roswell. Talk to the people who actually saw the bodies, handled the wreckage. I mean, if you have it, if you don't know Tom Carey, go check him out. He's incredible. But Tom is also an anthropologist, which we didn't realize. And Tom gave us a really great uh, idea of what Bigfoot could be. And it's in another video we did in the Bigfoot and the Pine Barrens. But Tom and I right now are investigating a dogman sighting in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, called the Beast of Bryn Athen. It's around the Bryn Athen, Pennsylvania area. That's around like, um, you want to say, you know, Huntington Valley lawn, like around mm -hmm. that area? Yeah, it's up near Penn State. And the weirdest thing is it's we're getting these reports of, of these people and, and witness descriptions too, where they're drawing them out. This thing's on four legs, very, very strange way of walking. But then it gets up on two legs. And when it's on two legs, it's like gliding. It just glides. People have seen this thing in the field. It's gliding in the field. Then it stops, goes down on four, all fours, and takes off. Also, also another area where there could be some portal activity. They're seeing this thing, and all of a sudden, it's gone. It disappears. And the way it's running and jumping, it's jumping and kind of bouncing in different areas. So it's, it's just very, very strange. So we're looking into that now and uh, even talk to the mayor down there. And uh, he's he's intrigued by the whole thing. So there's a lot of witnesses that we still need to talk to. So this is a really fresh case. Well, that Huntington Valley, Huntington Valley, um, there's a lot of Bigfoot activity up there because I've been called to cases before. Uh, that's near Racetown Lake, yep. that area around there. And that whole valley's got some spooky stuff. I mean, you know, even before the, before they dammed up the river and put the lake in there. Well, uh, you know, and here we are in Bucks County. Here, right. you know, Bucks County had that huge UFO flap in two thousand eight yep. that we're still talking about, and people still can't. And there, I mean, there was thousands of reports, and people are still talking about it. Uh, you know, and the week after we got back from Elkhorn, we went to investigate reports of juvenile Bigfoot sightings in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Mm -hmm and got evidence that night as well and that's in the video as well i mean so ron you're talking about like pinpoints of light and things like that we dominic we kept seeing and this is a, a phenomenon going on too red pinpoints of light that people are seeing along with these bigfoot sightings could it be eye shine we don't know um i meant to say and i forgot to say this too we shined where we heard the dog man and when and james you're talking about the yellow eyes we saw eye shine over in the in the cornfield. Now the corn was up at this time, um, and we saw these eyes like just darting like back and forth like this. And it was about six seven feet up into the tree line, so it was very it was there. Something was definitely there. Um, but in the pine barrens, we're sitting there talking to Art Mac, one of the Eric Spinner and Art Mac, you know, Bigfoot researchers. And just real quick, that we were talking to Art, talking about their protocols and what they do when they're, they're doing their investigation. 
as we're doing that, we heard a whoop. And I, I stopped, we stopped, and we heard it again. And here, Eric has these high, well, you can hear it on the camera, but Eric had the high-powered uh, microphones going on at the same time. So we listened back, and sure enough, you could hear that. And as we're hearing these whoops, Eric's wife goes and starts answering it back. And so she starts going, whoop, and, it's, and it answers back. And this was going back and forth for like four or five times. So they were having a, a conversation. So this was, there was definitely something there. And I mean, we're five miles into the Pine Barrens. There is not a soul around, no houses, no nothing. Uh, when we parked the truck, we went about 600 feet into this area called the Bowl. And it's an area that's kind of like, it's up on either side. It, look, it looks, you know, for all intents and purposes, a bowl. And it's high on side. So we were down in this area. And I'll tell you, man, that was just, and then we, we kept hearing rustling sounds. There was no wind. It was dead calm. Well, we kept hearing this rustling. And that whoop kept going further and further away. And all of a sudden, we heard this big rustling sound. But we figured that was maybe the mama coming to go get it, you know. And, uh, and then it just kind of faded out. Spooky night, man. It was, and that was like all within the first half hour. Same thing with with Elkhorn. It was like we get out there, and within a half hour, we're getting all this activity. We had a question uh, from Andrew Ball, and it it you know he asked about if we any of the guests have reported huge hyena-like creatures, and we have gotten hyena creatures sightings throughout Pennsylvania, uh, up in Tuscarora around there. We've had sighting of two of them. Had one of them corner a hunter up into a tree, a deer hunter up into a tree, sat there and watched the guy for like a 10, 15 minutes. The hunter got stuck there. He wasn't coming down for two hours at the front left. Uh, we got a, um, we had a hyena. They said the witness said it was the size of a cow up in uh, near Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. That's up in Cumberland County. Is that Cumberland County? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it did. But anyway, uh, Shippensburg. Uh, we had another one in New Oxford, which is just north of me. That's in uh, that's in Adams County, York County, Adams County. So, uh, yeah, the, the hyena-like creatures have been, have been seen. And, you know, we've had these... Um, We've had reports up in uh, Western Pennsylvania too uh, of the quadrupeds that people said look a lot like uh, they call them dogman, but they look a lot like hyenas. You heard anything like that, Ron? Oh, absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. Um, the idea that whenever you use the word dogman, I think that's a bit of a misnomer, but there's yeah. nothing else that fits into the category. You know, it, that is just the way that you can describe it. Now, as, as a historian and somebody that likes to connect the dots, if we think about the events that was happening over in uh, in France, you know, in the 1700s, uh, the Beast of Gévaudan was actually uh, often um, described as being very much like a hyena as well. So mm -hmm. it seems as if there is a history of these type of creatures coming into our reality every now and then, um, you know, whatever might be happening. But whatever, like Eric had said about this, this electrified mist or whatever, there definitely seems to be a component attached to these things that requires the manifestation through some sort of 
electrical impulse or some sort of almost as if you need to have a circuit in order for these things to have an appearance. You know, it's funny, Ron, you say that too, because in the, Lee has a picture, which is just, it'll, it blows you away. And it's, you see it briefly in our video, but it's, it's of an, all is about maybe five or six orbs in the sky in the middle of the day. And in these orbs, it's, you can, it looks like there's a creature inside this translucent orb. It looks like it's like cross. Like, it's like, just like this. And it's, so my thought was the night we saw the UFO and then right after we heard the howl, could this thing have deposited this creature from a UFO? You know, because yeah. we hear, I mean, I'm a big believer in the Bigfoot UFO connection. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of evidence to, to corroborate that. There's also another theory too about that, but th that to me was, was one of the plausible answers was like, well, could this thing have been deposited from, from the UFO? There was a, a one of one of the researchers actually said, you know, how people are getting, you know, reports of being abducted by UFOs. Why couldn't a UFO abduct Bigfoot or a cryptid and do experiments on that? And then when you see the Bigfoot and UFO, that's because they've just dropped off the UFO, you know, the Bigfoot from you know being examined or whatever. I mean, that's well, we know they do it with all kinds of other animals as it is already. Why not anything that we're not aware of? Yeah. Sort of. Exactly. Yeah, in my experience that I had with what I describe as a dog man, even though I did not physically see it, and again, I you said about the, the eyes. Although I did not physically see this creature, I could tell in my mind's eyes that 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 un that unnatural amber color that you were talking about. I saw that very readily. Um, but whenever that light kind of came on and then and then flickered off again. I am convinced that that creature was not in this plane of existence until that light came on. Somehow it came through, and whenever that light went off, at that point it was now in a physical form within this reality. The 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 red glowing eyes of this creature is that's what we are getting reports of. Now to have those red glowing eyes, you've got to be generating some kind of energy there, and. You know, our um, our uh, team member, Ellen Collins, did a lot of work on the uh, uh, tapetum lucidum. I think that's what they call it. Yes, um, yes. As far as the, the eye shine. Um, and for this creature to have that red glowing eyes to be just seen. And, you know, look, we get Bigfoot reports with the red glowing eyes as well. Mm -hmm. We get those with green eyes, too. Um, so, you know, there's a there's some kind of connection there. But is it I always say, too, could it be interdimensional? You know, that's the other thing. Like, Ron, you bring up a great point. It's like it maybe it's in another part of reality and it's coming into our reality. And that's how it's able to generate such energy there. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the case because a lot of people can kind of nonchalantly say, you know, bioluminescence. But right. in order for bioluminescence to be proven, you have to have correlations within the natural world. And we know that primates do not produce it. We know that bioluminescence is very specific to certain types of creatures. But the idea that there is an energy that is if you're almost looking into, they say that the windows are the eyes of the soul. It's almost as if you're looking into whatever is powering these creatures, you know? And, oh, yeah. and, and that is the, the, the case now. You know, we don't want to go so far afield that it becomes sounding like it's a science fiction program. But whenever all other explanations don't make any sense, it really is kind of the, the, our conclusion that we're coming up with 
is that whatever is out there is nothing that you can really go out there and track. There's nothing like that because they're not here all the time. Now, this is another uh, theory that I have as well, too, and I want to I want to kind of bounce this off of you guys. Do you feel that those people who witness these creatures have some sort of uh, it's it's hard to find the words for it, but almost some written type of contract with it? Like it it is so it's dependent upon you to manifest. And it's kind of like that you're giving it energy and it's exactly right. 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 Thought transference. Yeah. 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 I mean, that has been raised. That question has been raised. It's that, that thought transfers, you know, it's like what people want to see and what, what's there, you know, in our case, we didn't physically see it, but we, we knew it was there. It's, it was there. My case as well too. Right. It was there. You saw it. It was there. You saw James, you saw it, you experienced it, you physically felt it, you know, so it's there. Um, yeah, you know, that's the other thing too. And a lot of people I think are connected. I think there's people, I think there's people connected to the spirit world. I think there's people connected to the cryptid world. There's, there is a thin veil, I believe, to the here and there. And for some odd reason, whatever that is, if it's a, is some kind of resonance, some kind of frequency, there are certain people that are connected that see these things more often. Oh yeah, I mean this is this has been something that has been shown to happen just like what's going on in Chicago. We've had so many sightings where there've been lots and lots of people where this thing shows up and one or two people see it, nobody else sees it. It's mm-hmm. like they're predisposed to see something. I'll, uh, tell, I'll tell you something that happened to me and I want to see if you guys ever experience this too. And, you know, I, I, you know, when I do a ghost investigation, I'm, I gotta be honest with you. I'm very, I go into those very skeptical mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, until, but I gotta also say the more I've been doing that investigation, the more I'm becoming a believer in that realm. But with UFOs, I've had more experience in that and personal experiences. Um, my girlfriend and I were going over, this was in February of 2016. We're going over this bridge that crosses the Delaware River, where Washington crossed the Delaware. We're up in Stockton, New Jersey, and right outside of New Hope, Pennsylvania. And we're going from uh, New, uh, Pennsylvania into New Jersey. As we're going over this bridge, something caught my eye, and and I've seen it more and more now. We're seeing these more and more. Five orange plasma balls of you know UFOs. They just appeared out of nowhere. These five orange orbs out of nowhere. Now, in my mind, as I'm looking at this, I'm trying to debunk it as I look at it. I'm trying to say, well, are these Chinese lanterns because there's a restaurant over there? Could there be a wedding that they just maybe just put out? This is all within a period of like two, three minutes. So this thing's, no, I'm sorry, a minute. So this th- these appear and I'm like, I'm trying to fumble with my phone to try to take a picture. And she's looking at this and one by one, it looked like they were doing a search pattern over the river. And then one by one, they just disappeared one by one. I was able to get one picture uh, and I'll send that to you, Lon. I got to send that to you. And it's, you could see this red, it's a red orb. And it was the strangest thing. I mean, it was, and we're still trying to figure out what it was. So I went online to see if anybody else had this uh, experience. And there were people in Pennsylvania in the Harrisburg area that saw that same anomaly. Um, 
So, you know, and similar to that, and I've seen on a lot of these shows that people are getting these, you know, we all know what those military flares look like. Mm -hmm. This was not that. And this, anyway, if that, if that was flares, they were over a populated area that was not, and they couldn't do that anyway. But it was, uh, these were just the weirdest thing, man. And it looked like they were like uh, undulating. It looked like, like lava, like when you see lava, it was like that. And then it was just kind of like, and then it disappeared. Mm. And I remember, you know, John Keel talking about the living lights, you know, and this is a phenomena that is people are seeing a lot more of this now. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, when, I call them bioforms. Yeah. Basically, because um you know, I, I, I've I've even had people send me video of these things as they're uh they're like piece of plasma or round plasma and they kind of undulate and they change yeah. and as they're flying by, uh, yeah. some of these pictures are some that people have sent me, and um, also with like the um, you know these flying manta rays, where these uh, uh, that they they seem to be like a bioform type of craft. Yeah, you know where they see them undulate like they're actual animals, but but what know, are you know? But what is it? Are they? But what are, is it? That's just yeah. it. Are they probes? Are they like? drones from i mean and i mean look at the name i mean we've all heard the navy tic tac ufos and that's mm -hmm. like everybody nowadays that's all they want to go is with the navy tic tac <laughs> it's like there's so much more out there yeah i mean i mean you go way back to betty and barney hill i mean that account is just terrifying you know mm -hmm. and uh and I talked to Betty and Barney's niece, Kathleen Martin. Right. Uh, I've even talked to Calvin Parker from the Pascagoula mm -hmm. uh, abduction. I mean, these people are really genuine people that still, to this day, have no idea what happened. Even Betty and Barney are not with us anymore. But Kathleen had said that for years they were just, you know, perplexed by the whole thing. Yeah, they, you know, Kathleen's told me. She said Betty, you know, Barney died before Betty did. But yeah. You know, she really had no explanation as to why or what she or they encountered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, you know, most experiences go through that eventually. I mean, you know, they, and it's interesting, you know, a lot of the abductions now people will experience something not knowing about it. And then eventually something pops up, something reminds them of something. And all of a sudden they recall it. Uh, that's um, that was Betty and Barney. They were having the same yeah. dream simultaneously, not knowing that they had the same dream. Exactly. And that was just incredible right there, you know, just yeah. not even talking about it. And back in, I mean, look, we're talking like the early 60s too, man. That was like a crazy yeah. time. Well, you know, basically that was that was when UFOs went mainstream then because oh. you know oh. they they had their encounter what 62 or 63. 61. That, 61. That's the first flying uh, manta ray that was sent to me. The woman was an artist. She did the uh, she did the uh, the artwork of it. But this thing was flying in front of their car. Wow! Down the road, and it was you know it was undulating just like a. Uh, and where was this? That was in um, right across the river from Point Pleasant. Wow! In Ohio. Wow. Yeah. No. It wasn't uh, in Gallipolis or whatever you call that. It was down the road further. It was into the woods further, but it was uh, it was along a stream or a small creek. I just read one of your comments from your, your listeners here. 
if it was thought transference and everybody would see Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. <laughs> yeah, well, there but, you go. Yeah, but you know what? And, and it's true. I mean, that's just one idea. We're talking about different ideas here. I mean, you know, we've all been watching, you know, Skinwalker Ranch and things like that and what these guys are finding and what they're not finding. It's that's why this this research that we're doing is ongoing, because that's what we're ultimately trying to find is that that truth, whatever that is and what this could be. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been like scratching your heads, too. Like, what the hell could that have been? I mean, James, what you experienced, Ron, what you experienced. I mean, it's like, you know, what's what's the answer? Yeah. Well, that's like still to this day, I if I had never run across the term dog man and started doing the research, I would have had no idea what I was seeing. You yeah. know, yeah. I so said dog, werewolf. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was asking. Before dog man came into the vernacular, what did you call it? What was the experience that you had? Whenever I saw I never talked to anybody until 2019 about it, and that happened in 2002 and three. Okay. And I kind of just in my own mindset was telling myself that you saw a werewolf you encountered a werewolf because i i didn't know what to think about it you know because it does at least what i experienced looks spot on to what you think right. a werewolf would look like you know like so i gotta tell you this real quick here the uh we we went back to elkhorn in april for another uh, for a follow-up and i'll tell you guys i mean it was unbelievable uh what happened we did a town hall meeting on the night of april 28th over 140 people showed up wow to tell their story of seeing this thing they, i mean these these are people that were credible they were frightened they didn't know what was going on some of the reports so i just put out the part one video of that follow-up it's called beast of Road, the follow-up part one i'm working on part two where we're doing the investigation and I'm not going to tell you what we found, <laughs> but uh, but it was it was incredible. And the people that we encountered there, very genuine people. I mean, really, really nice people. Um, and just for them to to be able to be on camera and telling their story. And we have to think back too. the Beast of Bray Road goes back to 1936, maybe even before that. Mm -hmm. But there was a long period of time that no one talked about it. And the reason why nobody talked about it was because there was a whole period of people, they didn't want to get ridiculed. They didn't want to, you know, talk about it. So now fast forward to the nineties where Linda Godfrey brought that back into the public conscience because people were seeing it again and had been seeing it over that time frame. But, you know, like, you know, and I'm sure you guys will agree, people are more uh, comfortable now talking about the, the, the paranormal than they were maybe even 10 years ago. Mm. You know, so we're in a good time period now. I, and I got to tell you, you know, me, me being a jazz musician, right? I'll say to my jazz audience, you know, I wrote a new tune and I'm going to I'm going to play it tonight. And it goes like this and they'll half heartedly listen to it. But the minute I mention paranormal, you can hear a pin drop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> but that's a good point. So, you know, as far as music goes, how frequency, how it plays upon the human body. And you had said that earlier, and I think that that's really something that we need to investigate even more. The idea of how frequency travels, how it vibrates the body, and how it can actually really manifest itself uh, across a distance. You know, th th these are great things to think about. Uh, the other thing I want to point out too, as far as researchers go, and what I'm really excited to see happening, 
is at one time whenever I first got into this, there used to be the flesh and blood researchers and there used to be the you know UFO researchers. But and if they got a report that was out of what they believed to be valid, they would just simply toss it away. It was invalid. Mm -hmm. Somebody was lying. We have to keep it up, keep an open mind. And I think that the more that we keep an open mind and start seeing these reports that are coming in, all this stuff. If you can connect the dots, guys, again, I, I, I keep on stressing this, that it all makes sense. James, what you experienced, it's very possible that these were the same things that were manifesting in Europe in the 1400s that give rise to, you know, these might have been had something that we have dealt with from the very time we left Africa. You know, this might have always been part of our human condition. And as we move farther and farther away from the woods, we become civilized, we we step out of that natural vibration. Now everything seems to be paranormal because at one time it was normal, you know, that we lock ourselves behind walls, we're giving ourselves electricity, we are out of any kind of rhythm of nature. So whenever any of this kind of stuff happens, all immediately it's paranormal, but it's quite possible 200 years ago, this was just par for the course, my friends. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. You know, and the other thing, Ron, I'll take that a step further. We, you know, we still need people boots on the ground in the field. Like we right. are, yeah. you know, you are James is Lon. You know, we all have to be out in the field because we're doing the research. We're in the field doing it. We're not sitting behind a computer. We're out there in sometimes dangerous situations. I definitely want to party with you guys. We're going to have to get together. We're all in, we're all in Pennsylvania. We're going to have to do Absolutely, this. man. What the hell? Yeah, we're really. What the hell? Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking out. Uh, well, I'll be kind of north of you guys uh, on March 23rd of, of next year. Um, and it's a, a paranormal convention that's going to be happening out there. And, uh, oh, man, I want to tell you what, what it is, um, if I could find it here. But, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be a really great event and I'll let you guys know, I'll put, I'll post this on your, on your uh, website. And if you haven't, if you guys haven't friended me yet, send me a friend request so we could all uh, connect together here. Oh, um, I will. I certainly will. But yeah, you know, there is just so much going on. We were out in, well, sort of your area. We were out in Newcastle. On, oh, right. right. Yeah. We were just out there in uh, November of 2020 and we investigated haunted Hillview Manor. Oh yes, yes, yes. And had some really crazy experiences there with a with an entity known as the Creeper, and we actually caught that thing on video. Wow! And it was just spooky. That's a eighty five thousand square feet of pure paranormal spookiness, mm. crazy stuff. But uh, that area, I don't know why, but that area out there is a lot more paranormal prone. You know, for for some odd reason, even you go way back to uh, to injured cold. You know, uh, with uh, do you know that story, Wally uh, mm -hmm. Derenberger and yeah, uh, Woody Derenberger, Woody up meeting this alien that was in uh, that was sort of in I guess in West Virginia. Yeah, it was Parkersburg, just actually about forty miles north of uh, Point Pleasant. Yeah, there you go. So you know, we've only hit the tip of the iceberg on this, guys. We have. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So um, so let, let me uh, do the roll call here and let you guys. Tell the folks what you've been up to, how they can get in contact with you, 
and what's going on in the future. I'll start with you, Ron. All right. Well, in August uh, 13th, uh, as it happens, I will be in Paris, uh, not, uh, uh, Tennessee. Around Atlanta, between the lakes, and I will be at their Dogman Werewolf Conference. Uh, again, that is going to be August the 13th in Paris, um, uh, Tennessee, which I've never been before. So I'm very excited about that. And I've also uh, written a, uh, a, a report on uh, or a book on uh, uh, the history of Dogman. Uh, entitled, uh, appropriately enough, On Dogman Tracking the Werewolf Through History. Uh, and if you would buy my book, The Unexplained World of the Chestnut Ridge, which you were so uh, very kind to show earlier, um, that shows that goes, uh, that documents my research uh, into the Dogman on the Chestnut Ridge area of here in Western Pennsylvania. And everything that you need from me is always going to be found on Amazon. How about you, James? Um, you can... Uh, contact me through Green County PA Cryptids on Facebook. I have my own Facebook page. Um, also, I'm in the process of uh, writing a book called 50 Cryptids in 50 States. I'm about halfway through it right now. Man, some of the stuff that you come across, you never even would. Uh, our, the human imagination for some of it, you have to have because you'd never believe it, you know? <laughs> And just doing the research for this book has just opened my eyes to so many things I never thought about. Mm. Um, but that's that's what I've been getting to. And then, uh, like you mentioned before, being on The Unexplained with William Shatner, that uh, I just talked to the, the assistant to the director. He said yesterday, he said that they're in the stages of um, editing it right now and putting it all together. So it should be probably a month or two that episode will be out good i'm excited for it that's awesome man congratulations man that's awesome oh thank you and I, a big thanks to lon because he got me hooked up with the guy to to do it and I, i'm just glad that i could you know put put our face out there for fans and monsters that's what that's why i did it i, I was so nervous doing it but i was like <laughs> i have to do it for the group you know <laughs> well, you know it's yeah and, and thank you lon and vincent too man for making this available for everybody um and uh, folks could find uh, my group on, we have a Facebook page, it's Eric Mintel Investigates. Uh, we're also on YouTube channel, Eric Mintel Investigates. Uh, if you guys like jazz out there, you could check out my website. It's Eric Mintel Quartet. And we do a lot of original music. We do a lot of music of Dave Brubeck, a lot of really cool stuff and traveling all over the place with that. So that's, uh, it's good to be working again, uh, musically and venues being open. Um, but we're thriving with video. And I, in our videos, we uh, we were a, I guess you would say paranormal tourism company, and what we're doing is showing people where to go, uh, where to experience these incredible venues. Uh, we work with a lot of bed and breakfasts, um, inns, restaurants, um, and then we'll do some other stuff with the cryptids and Bigfoot encounters. So we've got a lot of uh, we've got a a building from 1759 a, a house in the Boyertown area that we're going to be investigating next and, mm -hmm. a haunted, and a haunted church in Ewing, New Jersey that we're going to be doing after that. And a whole slew of other things. We might be going back out to Elkhorn again and, uh, and just a lot of really great things. And I just got a chance to speak at the MUFON conference back in May and had a great time there. There was about 200 people that showed up to hear my story on the, on the Elkhorn experience. So it was really great. And I was, I'm really happy that you know, we have forums like this lawn and, and making this available for people. So thank you. 
Yeah, well, that's what we're long. trying to do. I mean, I, you know, this, these roundtable discussions are, are popular with the listeners, and uh, we're going to make them available when we can. So, guys, I appreciate you all coming on, and uh, keep in touch, and uh, you have a nice weekend. I'll talk to you all soon. You Always too. Always to to See you guys. Thank you. Talk with you, man. Now, if uh, you have an unexplained encounter or sighting, feel free to contact me through the Phantoms of Monsters blog site as phantomsofmonsters.com. Uh, I want to again thank my guests for joining me this evening, and thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. If you made a Super Chat donation, it's truly appreciated because your support is what makes all this possible. So please like, subscribe, and share. Now, if you have a sighting or accounting report that you'd like to be considered for the personal report show or simply post it on Phantoms of Monsters, feel free to forward to my email again at lonstrickler at phantomsandmonsters.com. Now, there will be no show next Friday. Uh, I got something going on. so uh, But there will be a personal report show this coming Wednesday. So look for that. And... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll be presenting that. So until next week, stay healthy and have a safe, enjoyable weekend. Good night.